0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, hello and welcome. I'm Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Here at Professor Liberty, we want people to think before it becomes illegal. And instead of parroting certain talking points, we want people to know how to look at things critically. Because here's the rub. If you wish to be a thinker, you're gonna have to question things. For example, why do you believe what you believe? Have you ever asked that question? Do you believe something just because mom and dad said so? Have you ever studied the matter and come to the conviction that it's true? Or are you just do you just believe things because someone on TikTok told you? Or because it's on TV? What makes something true? Is something true because it makes you feel good? You know, a lot of people think that. They think that just because they're offended or just because that something makes them angry, that thing is wrong. But sometimes that thing is right and we just don't want to admit it. It's called pride. But what makes something true? Do we even care to find out? Most people don't. Most people want to listen to the talking points and feel good about themselves. They want to just accept things like hope and change. But few ask, change what? Change into what? You know, throughout history, democracies tend to cater to the demagogues. What? What's a demagogue? According to Google... A demagogue is a, quote, professional leader who seeks support by appealing to the desires and the prejudices of ordinary people rather than by using rational argument, unquote. Boy, that seems to sum up most of our elected leaders today, doesn't it? Now, to be fair, I have to say I hear a few politicians trying to be rational, trying to put a centrist, rational approach to things. I I hear them, they're few. And boy, are they treated like lepers. People have no time or patience for rational arguments. And any political leader that tries to engage in a fair, rational debate is swiftly punished by none other than their own side. If a Republican is For protecting the environment, he is quickly labeled as a green commie. If a Democrat is pro-life and they dare share that view, they are ostracized by the hardcore abortionists and they are called women haters. For us that study history, it seems very analogous to ancient Rome and how the different emperors vied for the throne using force, charisma, bribery, Is our republic in its final death throes? I don't know the answer to that question. But the appearance of all these demagogues in the 20th century as well as some today seem like a bad omen. Speaking of demagoguery, today's episode is about President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, otherwise known as FDR. And we want, I want to talk about this seemingly imperishable myth that has surrounded him and his time as president. You know, as a conservative-minded educator, it is troubling to me that though the facts are that FDR's policies not only extended the Great Depression, but his remedies also increased the size and role of government in the process. In his 1939 book on FDR and his policies, author Howard Kirshner noted, quote, It is no exaggeration to say that he took the government when it was a small racket and made a large racket out of it. And Kirshner's argument is very true. Many of the Great Depression programs and departments that were enacted in the mid-30s into the 40s, well over 80 years ago, are still with us today. Social Security, the Security and Exchange Commission, what does that do? I don't even know. The FDC, which insures banks, the Federal Communications Commission, which otherwise is known as the FCC, which has censored and controlled free speech over the airways these many years. Even parts of the Tennessee Valley Authority, otherwise known as TVA, are still around. Now, I'm very familiar with TVA because it's in every history book I've ever used in class. The TVA is always mentioned as one of the resounding successes of the New Deal. According to Britannica.com, quote, Created by Congress in 1933, the Tennessee Valley Authority influence Spans regions across seven states. This government agency was originally established to control floods, improve the living standards of farmers, and produce electrical power, among other objectives. As these developments arose, the region reaped even greater benefits, including cheaper electricity, industrial development, and the rise of recreational tourism. Some of its original programs are still in place today, unquote. Okay, that's all nice and good. And maybe we could even make an argument for the value and the purpose and the emergency need for such a federal endeavor. But I'd like to ask a question. Remember, we started the show asking we should ask questions. Here's mine. Why is this still around? The Great Depression ended 70 years ago, and I'm being generous with that number. Here's another question. Couldn't Tennessee and the other states mentioned take over the roles and responsibilities that the feds are engaged in currently, you know, for the sake of federalism being followed. But this is what happens, folks. Once a federal program is created, it never goes away. Like Ronald Reagan once said, the closest thing to eternal life on this earth is a government program. But anyone who has studied economics knows that in most cases, if not all cases, Unless we're talking about the very short term, government intrusion into the economy never brings the success it promises. And FDR's New Deal is no exception. But regardless of this fact, the myth, the legend of FDR coming down from heaven on his white horse to save America has endured. And it endures in the history books and it endures in the American psyche. But ironically, nothing can be further from the truth. Economist Stephen Moore, writing for Heritage.com, writes, Almost everything FDR did to jumpstart growth retarded it. The rise of the minimum wage kept unemployment intolerably high. Roosevelt's work programs like the Works Program Administration, the National Recovery Administration, and the agricultural adjustment administration were so bureaucratic as to have minimal impact on jobs raising taxes to nearly 80 percent on the rich stalled the economy social security is and always has from the start been a madoff style ponzi scheme that will eventually seek into bankruptcy unless reformed now we could do a whole podcast on social security And as Mr. Moore says, most scholars claim that the entire program will be bankrupt in 30 or 40 years. Is the government going to do anything about that? Of course not. Now, to his credit, President George W. Bush tried to at least start a conversation about Social Security reform. But the media and the Democrats scared the elderly so much that no legislation was even brought to address the issue. Of course they're just going to kick the problem down the road until it becomes a crisis and then it can't be avoided. And I wager that they'll probably propose more government action to save us from the original government program. And what about all these American workers out there having their wages taken for to pay for social security? Will they see a refund? Will we get reparations? Of course not. Some of us will never see that money again. So if most of the New Deal was an economic failure and it only led to bigger government, why is FDR still popular today? Well, to be honest, it has mostly to do with fear, promises, and legend. The Great Depression was a time of great tribulation, and many of our grandparents, if we're of a certain age, their lives and worldview was permanently impacted by their experience through this Great Depression. I often tell my students, during this time, there was no welfare. There was no workmen's compensation. There was no unemployment benefits. If you lost your job, you were out of work, period. At the height of the Great Depression, the unemployment rate was almost a quarter, 25%. When people can't work and they can't feed themselves and their family, They're gonna become afraid. They're gonna be fearful. And fear makes us desperate. We could look at this COVID pandemic and see that fear makes people lose their minds. When we are desperate, we tend to forego logic. Think of all those folks wearing masks in their cars driving by themselves. There's very little chance, if any, that a person can get COVID in a car driving by themselves. But they're afraid. Then the media fans those flames. Look at other people who are taking dangerous chemicals and putting it in their body because they don't want the vaccine. But but the vac you know the vaccine's some kind of government conspiracy. They're afraid. Right now, as I record this podcast, it is still ninety nine point nine percent of people that are gonna get this virus, even the unhealthy ones, survive COVID. But people still think getting COVID is a death sentence. Why? Because of fear and because of the narrative that is out there. And I think this was another uh, thing that's not addressed with FDR is that that media, you know, political media connection that keeps a narrative going. And so just keep that in the back of your mind. You know, a lot of times we, we well, how come they did that? How come they did this? Well, you got to try to put yourself in their shoes. So use this fear of the pandemic and people acting irrationally and uh, all the politics going on. And we can use that to see that people were desperate and they were full of fear. And FDR ultimately was very charismatic and he promised salvation. Unfortunately, the government has been promising salvation ever since. The myths surrounding FDR is still so influential in our politics that all presidents, Republicans and Democrats, after him try to tout their first hundred days of action. Because FDR has taught us that action is all that matters, not results, but action. So every new president must have some kind of action in the first hundred days to show how successful they are. When he was elected president in 2008, Barack Obama basically copied the FDR playbook. He often called the 2008 recession the Great Recession. Sounds a lot like the Great Depression, doesn't it? And like FDR, Obama had this great public works program ready to go at, a, at an economic cost of just under a trillion dollars. $800 billion I think it was. Now, I just want to point out that it had to be just under a trillion dollars for political reasons. You know, we can't spend that much money. Today, the trillion dollar cap has been thrown away. President Biden's infrastructure plan is at priced at $2 trillion. So you see, folks, the precedent just keeps growing. What eight years ago or 12 years ago was considered too much money is considered a deal now. So anyway... Channeling his inner FDR, Obama said that his public works program will revitalize the economy and provide jobs. And it didn't really do anything of the sort. The average GDP, the gross domestic product, while Obama was in office, was 1.62%. Unemployment under Obama averaged around 9%, with a high of 10% and a low of 45 when he left office. Unemployment was 8% when he was inaugurated. So why did it take 8 years for unemployment to drop 4 points, especially since the federal government threw $800 billion at the problem? Now we have to say that the economy is freaking huge, and it is difficult to fully know how the Obama stimulus plan helped the economy. But it sure seems like it didn't do what they promised it would do, or at the very least, it certainly was a bit of an expensive cure for the problem. Personally, I think Obama found limited success mainly due to his infatuation with regulations. As he tried to stimulate the economy with an injection of money, he was a Keynesian, and most presidents are, Democrat and Republican. On one hand, he did that, but on the other hand, he crushed incentive, and he increased the cost of doing business with his pages and pages and pages of regulation. I also think this is where Trump found success. It really wasn't the laws he signed. Can you think of any major legislation he passed other than cutting taxes? But it was his determination to cut regulation that spurred the economy. But that's just my opinion. Anyways, I'm saying all this to say that we're still buying into these government promises, even though we have a long list of historical data that shows the government rarely does anything well, and it hardly ever makes a great savior. But every four to eight years, we buy into this same myth. Now, even with this long historical track record of failure, People can't criticize FDR, nor can some of them criticize Obama. Many will say things like, well, at least they tried, Mr. Palumbo. You see, it's all about the intentions. It's not about the results. But that's completely opposite of how we should vote for leaders. We need to see what they're saying, check it out, criticize it, analyze it. And if their plan doesn't work, we vote them out. It's, it's exactly about results. So you remember that word we used at the beginning of the podcast, demagogue? Well, in his piece called The Mythology of FDR and the New Deal, Robert Higgs writes, quote, if demagoguery were a powerful means of creating prosperity, then FDR might have lifted the country out of the depression in short order. But in 1939, 10 years after the onset and 6 years after the commencement of the New Deal, 9.5 million persons, or 17.2% of the labor force, remained officially unemployed. Roosevelt was a masterful politician, but unfortunately for the American people subjected to his policies, he had no idea how to end the Depression other than to try something and, when that didn't work, to try something else. His ill-conceived, politically-shaped experiments so disrupted the operation of the market economy and so discouraged the acclamation of capital that they impeded full recovery that otherwise would have occurred. His followers revered him then, and many people revere him still as a great leader. But what does it avail a lost and thirsty man if his leader only wanders about in the desert. Regarding the enduring legacy of FDR, Higgs continues, quote, Although FDR and the New Deal failed to end the Depression, they succeeded in revolutionizing the institutions of American political and economic life and changing the country's dominant ideology. Even today, 60 years after the New Deal ran out of steam, its legacies remain, still hampering the successful operation of the market economy and diminishing individual liberties. So there you have it, folks, the enduring myth of FDR. He is the Messiah to the Savior, the government. And this myth is in our history books. And even though the facts and the historical data and the historical records show otherwise, This myth endures in American culture today. The idea is doing something is better than nothing. Action is better than inaction. And the government saving is better than the government not doing anything at all. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating. And Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to look at some of my lessons and other educational materials, please go to teacherspayteachers.com and search for Professor Liberty. If you'd like to email the show, the email is Professor Liberty 1776 at gmail.com. Until next time, folks, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.